Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's edition of Christian Conspiracy Theory. We are your host, Matthew and Aaron Miller. It's good to be with you this week. Just a reminder that you can find our regular broadcast on Spreaker and iTunes and everywhere else on According to the Scripture. The webpage that we're basically using as of right now is our Facebook page. Uh, Just search Facebook for that page, according to the scripture, you'll find us. So with no further ado, this week we have got a topic uh, to talk about that reaches into the biblical narrative in ways that no one else has thought to look, to say the least. Over the past hour and a half, I've did a search making sure that no one else had... uh, put two and two together on this particular uh, thought process that Aaron and I is going to go through tonight. So we're definitely stretching things tonight. We're going to push your mind in probably places it never thought to went and make certain narratives in the Bible come to light that may be a little bit off the charts. So, Aaron, why don't you jump on here and let's begin this diatribe on this uh, topic of Solomon and his relationship to the, well, Sedim, as is there encoded into the Hebrew Scripture. So, Aaron, you have the mic. Well, um, for centuries, Solomon has gained the name of an exorcist. Um, perhaps the first um, named in um, as far as Jewish uh, history goes. And uh, he was believed to have had power over demons, have had enslaved them by the power of God to build the temple. And as we know, the scriptures say that not a hammer was heard in the temple, does it not? Yes, it does, and that makes for a very strange tale, indeed. You know, there's been lots of thoughts on how that would have been possible. Perhaps they uh, fabricated it like a puzzle or a model car and then brought everything together, and somehow it was just fit together like a big puzzle that uh, did not need to be worked on site. So that in itself is an off-the-rails topic, Uh, but yes, you're quite correct. Uh, Something was definitely going on on the Temple Mount, and lots of people have had their ideas as to how that all worked out, but uh, that's a topic all in itself. Uh, 
the rabbis, of course, uh, have many ideas on that that line of thinking, but what was the one that caught your attention the most, Aaron? Well, they believe that um, demons served him, and they based this on some interpretations of uh, passages in the scriptures, especially those found in Ecclesiastes. And um, in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 2, verse 8, it talks about um, the, the Sida and the Sidoth. Um, and uh, few have, there's a lot of debate on what Sida and Sidoth mean, but um, if you go right down to the original roots, uh, Sidim or Shedim are, is the Hebrew word for demons. Um, and the only uh, difference here is a, is a, a feminine form here, and still trying to crack what that means, if, if this is at all talking about demons, but based on this passage, people derive these words from the to the word Hebrew word for demons, and um, so th let me read this passage with that saying. Um, also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men and Sida and Sidoth. Another form of this word Sida or Sida can also mean a field in uh, some Hebrew interpretation. So if, if uh, let's, with that in mind, we can, uh, I'm going to read Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse nine. After all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. And if I could um, uh, give another interpretation of this, it could say a king who enslaves the demon in his advantage to the land. That word cultivates can also mean to enslave. Which gives hints of, well, an exorcism. Uh, because when someone is possessed, they're definitely enslaved by the unclean entity. But we have precedents, Aaron, for that verse there that you read, the strange um, Hebrew word that, if everybody wants to look that up, uh, that's H7700. It means demon. We have precedent in the scripture because in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, I have did much discourse on this. This verse, the first part, is referring to the scapegoat, the beast from the abyss. And the second part of the verse, it makes itself quite clear. Everyone knows this phrase as the man of lawlessness. And in the Greek, that is huros, of course, a son. Then the Greek does something it should not do. It has the Greek word G684 there, which is apuleo. However, here it is apuleos. That's feminine. So we have precedence as to why the Sidim uh, may be given feminine forms in this verse. Just take note that this is the exact inversion of what God does in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. 
So when we take a read of that in the KJV, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except a falling away first, and that the uh, man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. You'll take note that the first part there, uh, that is in clear reference uh, to something else, because it is in the masculine form. So, the first part of the verse, um, the first entity mentioned there, uh, son of sin, as uh, or man of sin here as the KJV states, that's masculine. Then man of lawlessness is in the feminine form, so that you can see the difference between the two. So you have a man of lawlessness, uh, as the New American Standard Bible reads, and then the very next phrase, son of destruction, as this version puts it, you realize that he's separating the two. He's making a distinction, a one, an angelic entity, and another, a human entity. So we have precedence for why these uh, Sedim would be given a feminine in the context of who it's talking about, King Solomon. But that kind of makes things goes off the rails because it makes you look for other things there in the scripture that would be encoded that would lend this credence. So, Aaron, please continue. Well, I was reading um, a piece from the school of Rashba, which is a Hebrew text based on a rabbi whose name was Shlomo Ibn Adaret. He was uh, a medieval rabbi. And this text is, uh, let me just read it aloud. And there were two women harlots to King Solomon. There were Lilith and Agrat. Lilith, who strangles children because she cannot make them, can make of them a veal for herself to serve as a hiding place for her. And the second is Agrat. On one night, King David slept in the camp in the desert, and a grat coupled with him in his dream. He had an omission, and she conceived and bored for Hadad. When they asked him, what is your name? He said, Shemi Ad, Ad Shemi, that is, my name is Ad, Ad is my name. So they called him Ashmedai. This is Ashmedai, king of the demons who deprived Solomon of his kingship and sat on his throne, and therefore he was the seed of the king in Edom. So, this is off the rails what you just said, because you're talking about the uh, Jewish legend that this demon, known as Asmodeus, actually usurped Solomon's throne, and he relocated Solomon. And while Solomon was in exile is when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. That's why he wandered around, and he called himself the preacher. So putting these little ties together here as to why the Hebrew in Ecclesiastes here would encode us the Sedim, now it makes you set up and take notice, Aaron. It's like, okay, something is really going on here. But this is in clear reference to the demon Asmodeus. 
So can you tell us a little bit about that name, the etymology, and most importantly, is it actually found in the scripture? Let's let's cover that first, but then go over uh, the etymology of that name and where uh, we can find additional information for that particular name. Okay, so Asmodeus is actually the Latinized form of the Greek name Asmodai, Asmodaios, and that is present in the book of Tobit. But the Hebrew root of both of them are Ashmedai. That spelling, and both of them would reflect that uh, transliteration. And this name, Ashmedai, is not in that exact spelling found in the scriptures, but one form, Ashima, that is present in the scriptures. That is in Second uh, Kings 17, verse 30. The men of Babylon made sakath Benoth, and the men of Kuth made Nergal, and the men of Hamath made Ashima. And Ashima was uh, some false god of theirs. So he is present there. Another form uh, is found in Second Samuel chapter 22, verse 38. I pursued my enemies and destroyed Ashmedem. That word destroyed is Ashmedem. And destroyed them. I did not turn back until they were consumed. Um, and then we go to another form, Ashma, and that is um, H8. 085, which means a voice. And you can find that present in uh, Job chapter 4, verses 12 to 21, where one of Job's friends talks about a vision and says, Now a word was brought to me stealthily, and my ear received a whisper from it. Amid disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, dread came upon me and trembling. And made my bones shake. Then a spirit passed by my face. The hair of my flesh bristled up. I stood still, but I did not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. And I heard a voice. Eshma. That word for voice is Eshma. Can mankind be just before God? Can a man be pure before his, ma his maker? He puts no trust even in his servants and against his angels. He charges error. So this name is, as I've given you several different different words to where it could have come from, but I'm not sure which it would have been as far as the Hebrew goes. Well, you state that correctly because you plainly said that the etymology, its origin, is Greek. And you said that it... Uh, this entity is clearly in the book of Tobit, uh, which is an apocryphal work. Can you tell us the tale that Asmodeus plays in this book of Tobit? Well, um, Tobit's son, Tobias, he uh, took this one woman named Sarah as his wife. and But Sarah um, had seven husbands before Tobias. All who had been murdered 
on their wedding night by the demon Asmodeus. Some say some translations say that this Asmodeus loved her, quote unquote. Just murdered any man who tried to come to her, you know, intimately. But um in this book, the Archangel Raphael comes to teach Tobias the way to um repel this demon to get rid of him. And he um teaches him to use the uh, a part of a fish and burn it and the demon would uh be repelled. And he did this and I'm going to just bring up some passages here. In Tobit chapter 8, verse 3, it says, That which smell, when the evil spirit had smelled, he fled into the utmost parts of Egypt, and the angel bound him. As we see right here, this this, this demon, Asmodeus, um, named uh, specifically in Tobit chapter 3, verse 17, to bind Asmodeus the evil spirit, because she, Sarah, belonged to Tobias by right of inheritance. So that's an interesting point of view, but that that word Egypt and being bound by an angel is uh, very key, critical to where we're about to go with this. Well, we have to take a stop at this and realize that the story there of Tobit is in direct relation with uh, the rabbis questioning Jesus in Matthew 22. That is the story you're referring to. And I'll just take a quick read of it, uh, of the KJV. Very important that we, we put these two and two together. Uh, the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. And asked him, saying, Master, uh, Moses said, if a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now, there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married his wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, unto the seventh. And the last of all the women died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given a marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But... As touching the resurrection of the dead, ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. Now, this makes this questioning by the Sadducees off the rails. This is literally encoding into you the story of Tobit and the subject that we have a spouse and exactly seven of them dies. You have this exact story that's built around Asmodeus and of course Christ finished it up by saying 
angels are not supposed to be given and given in marriage. So this ratchets it up another level for us to, well, I would say look a little deeper, but something caught my attention. You said that this demon, it's its mother, I, I guess. Uh, you need to clarify that for the listener. It said something along the lines of Adad or Haydad. Now, that particular entity I know in the Bible. So do you have anything to add along the lines of this particular one mentioned in the scripture, Aaron? Yes, this Agrat, which was, um, as, as I just pointed out in the school of Rashba, this Agrat was well known as a demoness. And um, one of her tales, or one of the tales of hers, uh, given as having um, mated with one Igratiel, an angel of the desert. Well, her mother, I mean. Let me go right down to the original origin of her name. Agrat is usually named, filled out, Agrat Bat Malchat. And that is actually, it actually means Agrat, daughter of Machalath. And Machalath was, um, according to Genesis chapter 28 verse 9 was the daughter of Ishmael and became Esau's wife and that being said um, this woman would have been uh, considered an Edomite if she was the daughter of this Agrat was the daughter of uh, Mahalath the Ishmaelite and Esau who is the patriarch of the Edomites well, this Agrat would have been uh, a daughter of uh, a cloven. Now, to top that off, you want to describe the cloven for us real quick? Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you want more information on exactly the details on what the entity known as a cloven is, uh, please uh, go to the uh, show page and look. Aaron and I did a episode exclusive to that but this is what it is imagine ladies and gentlemen if you have a woman uh, that is barren uh, much like samson's mother you can also uh, get gleanings from this from samuel's mother the bible states very clearly that to become one flesh once the seed has been issued into the feminine part of the equation. History states that once such a woman is cloven to the seed of the fallen, she is changed. And this ratchets up everything immensely because I'm hearing something echo in the scripture that you just mentioned about this tale. So you are saying that this particular individual was of the royal seed of Edom, correct? Yes. See, let's go back on what it says. It says that um, Asmodeus, or Ashmedai, was, um, was the son of David, 
and this entity, well, well, this cloven woman, Agra. This child is what is known in some, uh, according to some demonologists, as a cambion, an offspring of a succubus or an incubus, which are demons that rape people in the night. As, as this passage um, in the school of Rashba gave, she, Ashmedai, or Asmodeus, was originally one Hadad, uh, king of Edom. That gives rise to a lot of interesting things, because when it says, on the night King David slept in the camp in the desert, Agret coupled with him in his dream. He had an mission and conceived, and, and she conceived and bore Hadad, king of Edom. So uh, this is coming from First Kings chapter 11, verses 14 to 17. All right, stop the bus. So you you already have the scripture reference available because I was getting ready to scream stop the bus. Because, well, go ahead and read that scripture. Um, I just... Uh, was taken aback that you already had the script, uh, scripture reference available before I had a chance to point that out because this hey dad is a little bit more important than anybody realizes up to this point. Go ahead, Aaron. All right, so this is First Kings chapter eleven, verses fourteen to seventeen, and uh, I'm going to read it to you from uh, the KJV, and then I'm going to make an interpretation based on the school of Rashabah. And the Lord stirred up an adversary unto Solomon, that is because of his idolatry, who was Hadad the Edomite. He was of the king's seed in Edom. For it came to pass when David was in Edom, and Joab the captain of the host had gone up to bury the slain, after he had smitten every male in Edom, because for six months did Joab remain there until all is with all Israel until he had cut off every male in Edom, that Hadad fled, he and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him, to go into Egypt, Hadad being yet a little child. Now here's the interpretation based by that other text. Because this isn't a corruption of it, it's a different understanding of it based on the Hebrew. That word adversary... That title of Hadad is Satan in Hebrew. And it's intriguing to find the Septuagint's translation. It transliterates that word, Satan. Because um, Hadad is one of the very few people in the entire Bible who are given the same title, Satan, as the prince of this world himself. So, and then I'm going to read that Again, and the Lord stirred up a Satan unto Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was of the king's seed in Edom. Okay, now um, the Hebrew interpretation based on what was just given, this king was David, King David. You know, in the, throughout the scriptures, sometimes um, King David is just called the king, right? Yes, that's that's correct. He is called the king. Yeah, and with with that given, if we were to say he was of the king, king's seed, or David's, King David's seed in Edom, and 
that's that's very key critical when it says in Edom, because the next verse, chapter 15, it says, for it came to pass when David was in Edom. And Joab, the captain of the host, had gone up to bury the slain after he had smitten every male in Edom. And I skipped to chapter 17. Then Hadad fled. He and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him to go into Egypt. Hadad was yet a little child. And that's crazy. Well, Aaron, this is the echo I'm talking about. And maybe this is going to send chills up everybody's spine. Is this the reason why the tale of Uriah the Hittite and his wife Bathsheba is excluded from the book of Chronicles? It is only mentioned in Second Samuel chapter 11, Aaron. And it describes the tale that you just told... In a completely different way. Even down to the general, Joab. We know that David told Joab to send Uriah to the front line so he would die. You just stated that the scripture said the same exact thing. That David had all of the males in Edom killed. Wiping out the royal seed. Not only that, all the males. So, this is how we come about with Solomon. And really what you're inferring here is Asmodeus was in fact Solomon's brother. Via a stepmother that was a cloven. So when we couple that with the simple fact that... The rabbis put this question to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, directly referring to the apocryphal book of Tobit. Now, now the gears in my mind are literally redlining Aaron, because the story you just told and pieced together in the scripture about this, hey dad. Why the scripture would be calling him a Satan makes a whole lot of sense if this hey dad was the son of a cloven via once again David, well, doing things that David should not have been doing. Now, Except the fact that uh, David was certainly not perfect. Uh, the Bible states that he was a man after God's own heart, so his intentions were perfect. But he had these moments of temporary insanity induced by emotion when his thoughts was not clear, when he saw the absolutely beautiful Bathsheba on the roof bathing. This provoked him to utilize the military for ill purposes. And it amazes me that Joab is even in this story that doing exactly playing the part that David wanted him to play with Uriah the Hittite. And now this all comes back full circle as to 
why this would be encoded that Solomon had working for him the Sedim. This literally gets the gears turning so fast the motor is redlining. So, with that in mind, this echo in Scripture is screaming. I mean, if you had left out one part or another, I wouldn't have been able to hear this echo and perceive it. But there have been so many questions about why Hadad was called a Satan. And coupled with the simple fact that how was there no clamoring heard during the construction of the temple? Now these things start to make a little bit more sense. An absolutely scary sense, the simple fact that why is Asmodeus's name... Why is the etymology origin in the Greek? And why does that point directly to the book of Tobit, which is an apocryphal work? Now, being an apocryphal work, it is not the Bible, God's holy word. That's comprised and built off of the book of Isaiah, which has 66 chapters. So we know, utilizing biblical mechanics, that schemata is perfect. It absolutely works. It absolutely proves beyond any shadow of a doubt that there should be 66 books in the Bible. That makes it complete. That's what it is. Now, you and I have had massive discussions as to why the Book of Enoch wasn't included. And, of course, we know that's because the parables were not, were not permitted to have the original Hebrew and Greek of the parables. But this is one of the reasons why. Because there had to be 66 books. Because there are 66 chapters in Isaiah. So, uh, remember that the uh, all of this uh, works together, but when you start putting the pieces two and two and two together, uh, this becomes off the charts, uh, especially uh, with the book of Tobit, uh, because, you know, that, that story is very important uh, concerning... Well, the book of Isaiah, actually. And a lot of people don't realize how that is. But when you take a look at it, uh, you, you step back and you say, well, what did uh, the mighty Assyrian have to do with this? How is this book linked? Well, take note that Tobit was noted in particularly for his diligence in attempting to provide proper burials for the fallen Israelites whom Sennacherib had slain. So, when you realize that the entire book of Isaiah, that's, that's what this is about, the mighty Assyrian. Well, remember what happened to um, Sennacherib? Didn't, doesn't the book of Isaiah say that God said that a spirit would enter into Sennacherib that he would return to his own land. And I believe that this, I once theorized that this was this Asmodeus that possessed him, that caused him to go back to his own land. And as Tobit brings out, when he returned to his own land, that was when he started killing off a bunch of uh, Jews there that Tobit was burying. That's right. So these two books are linked, but just like the book of Enoch, 
when we realized that Tobit could not be included into the 66 canon because that canon is based off biblical mechanics. So you would have had 67 books. You'd have had one book too many. Mechanically, when you do your chapter wraps, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, please take note that I am the one uh, that actually invented the New Testament wrap. All of those things, uh, the sequential perfection of the Bible, God's Holy Word, would be thrown in complete disarray because God has used uh, the 66-book schemata to be able to, uh, just like uh, the Word of God says that Christ was wrapped in swaddling clothes, you take the Old Testament chapters and literally wrap them around the New Testament, and the chapters line up in just exactly the perfect place where they should. So, with this in mind, everybody needs to take note that I'm not saying at all that the book of uh, Tobit or what uh, the rabbis are inferring here and what this particular rabbi wrote uh, in the Middle Ages about these ideas. I'm not saying that they should be included in the canon at all because it is perfect and that can be proven beyond the shadow of a doubt. But just like uh, many of the discussions between me and Aaron privately, there's reasons why there can't be 67 books in the Bible. There's a reason why there can't be, well, 65. There's reasons for that. But all of this information, when it's backed up with the Sadducees questioning Jesus about this woman whom seven husbands had died, when you inject that into this narrative... You realize this information is off the charts. Literally, all the information that Aaron has gathered thus far, it is inferred that David did in fact go to Edom, wipe out all the males. It was during this event while Joab was sent to bury the dead. That the cloven entered into David's tent and produced truly a Satan for his future heir and ruler that would build the temple, his son Solomon. And the exact events play out in a shadow and silhouette of exactly how David got Bathsheba in the first place. That's off the charts, Aaron. When you realize that now things start to make sense. Now, what are your personal thoughts on this information just as a database itself, just as truly a Christian conspiracy theory? Well, I mean, it was... I mean, I'm not necessarily saying this is true, and I'm not saying I'm entirely agree with this idea, but it's it is crazy thought. I mean, what if it is true? I know. I mean, because we would have never looked at it this way as um, English speaking Americans, but a rabbi 
being well skilled in the Hebrew scriptures, would could understand it in ways that we never saw it. And it's it's really interesting to look on their interpretations of the scripture and in ways that I would have never even thought to look at because then things start to kind of make sense with what they're saying. And it's, that's crazy. And, um, this Asmodeus being Solomon's brother. And if we were to say that this Agrat was a sin, very similar to, uh, Bathsheba with David Bathsheba was Solomon's mother by David. So she he was actually born of adultery. And if this Agrat and um, Asmodeus or Hadad, he would be a son of adultery too. So not only would he be his brother, Solomon's brother, but he would be of the same sin. And See, as this is like very well known among the the Jews in their history and their legends, even uh, Josephus um, records that Solomon was an exorcist and uh, he he was given power by God over demons. He enslaved them, as I pointed out with um, Ecclesiastes. But we remember what happened. He took uh, a Shumanite woman, uh, if I'm saying that word right. Um, who was pagan, both foreign and pagan, and she got him to worship other gods, and not just any god, that abominable abominable Moloch to whom uh, children were sacrificed. So, after this, this Hadad was raised up against him, this Satan, because of this. And if, if you look in those texts, in, in their in the Jews uh, the Jewish legends they say that this is because Asmodeus actually cast out Solomon from his throne because Solomon having been given a, given a ring by God that gave him power over demons to control them he Asmodeus said he would give him all the answers to his questions if he gave him that ring and Solomon gave it to him and Asmodeus actually kicked. Uh, Solomon out of his kingdom took his uh, disguise as him and actually reigned in Israel for a while, which that's another really crazy thought. And as you just pointed out, how there was one point where um, Solomon was a preacher and he was wandering around from his kingdom. Well, that's that's right. So this this mechanism of these, well, this mythology is answers a lot of questions because of course the question has long been sought as to why uh, Ecclesiastes could really only be written by the wisdom of Solomon yet it continually states that he well is the preacher so that in itself is a mystery uh, that has long been pondered and sought. But then when you put together uh, this idea of uh, Tobit chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, and I'll read them from the Revised Standard Version. On the same day, 
Ekbat Anna of Media. It also happened that Sarah, the daughter of Raguel, was reproached by her father's maids because she had been given seven husbands. And the evil demon Asmodeus had slain each of them before he had been with her as his wife. So the maid said to her, Do you not know that you struggle, strangle your husbands? You already have had seven and have had no benefit from any of them. Why do you beat us? If they are dead, go with them. May we never see a son or daughter of yours. When you realize this is the story that the Sadducees are riddling unto the Messiah, this makes you step back, Aaron. This makes you step back and take pause. Do your investigations. And Aaron, you have uncovered the simple fact that it is encoded in the scripture in more ways than one. This very well could be the place. There's no other reason why the scripture would say that hey, dad was a Satan unto Solomon unless it was Solomon's stepbrother via the cloven Agrat, or whatever her name was. I think that the name is beside the point. But now we understand why this book is not just exclusive as to uh, this demon Asmodeus. Tell us a little bit about how this demon Asmodeus is ditched, is uh, dispatched uh, by uh, Tobit. Uh, to relieve Sarah. What exactly is the mechanism that she gets relief from this demon, Aaron? <clears throat> well, Raphael showed to Tobit that if, um, while well, I'm reading chap uh, chapter 6, verse 7, and he said to him, touching the heart and the liver, if a devil or in, or a spirit trouble any, we must make a smoke thereof before the man or the woman, and the party shall no more be vexed. Okay? So, um, this, this uh, liver and heart was used as a sort of aroma um, to cast this demon out, and were um, uh, also given in 6 verse 17... Verses 16 to 17. Then thou shalt come into the marriage chamber. Thou shalt take the, the ashes of perfume and lay upon them the heart and the liver of the fish and shall make a smoke with it. And the demon shall smell it and flee away and shall come no more. And then later, he actually carries this out. This, well, this demon gets sent off as, as I as I gave earlier with my notes. Well, Aaron, my main point to this is a number one. This, of course, refers you back to the temple and the offering of the incense that would go up before the Lord continually, this soothing aroma. Number two, the answer to this equation was the entering of the third angel mentioned in the 
well, the extended apocrypha of the Bible, as I read from the New American or the Revised Standard Version, the interjection of Raphael. So now we have a double layering here as to why this angel would be mentioned, making sure that you're able to tie this back into the very question the Sadducees asked the Messiah. Well, there's two things I want to point out. When we go to Tobit chapter 8 verse 3, it talks about this demon again. What happened when this smell, when he smelled this, this incense? It says, when, he, when the evil spirit smelled it, he fled into the utmost parts of Egypt, and the angel, that is Raphael, bound him. Okay? There's two things I want to point out in this verse. Number one, we go back to 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 15. Hadad fled, he and certain Edomites of his father's servants, with him to go to Egypt. And this connection with this uh, demon and Egypt is very intriguing to point out. And before we get on that, I also want to mention that this binding by Raphael is also found in the book of Enoch, chapter 10, where it speaks about how the Lord sent Raphael to bind Azazel hand and foot and cast him into the pit. Well, yeah, I need to stop and correct what I said before then. Now we have a third and fourth layer here. Uh, this thing is really going once around the ride. This thing is encoded everywhere, Aaron. So this is exactly where this Hey Dad fled to was Egypt. Exactly as detailed. This is this is off the rails uh, information here that we're covering. Really, really has the gears turning. Like I said, my gears are definitely redlining right now. They're spinning so fast because we have. At least four interweavings into the scripture itself, tying back into the Sadducees questioning Jesus in the particular way that they did and his particular way that he answered. So that makes this just off the rails. Please continue with your thoughts. Well, I mean, as to David being the father, I've, I've struggled with this a lot. Because a lot of rabbis disagreed who Asmodeus' parents were. But all of them have pointed to one of the cloven. And uh, I was wondering if maybe he was the son of Azazel, that, since he likewise was bound. But um, I don't know. I mean, with all these things point pointing this way, a lot of... I mean... To this rabbi, I haven't found this one in the school of Rashba. I haven't seen any other rabbi directly associate him with Hadad, and it's a pretty crazy thought. Well, the thought that immediately gets me whenever I look at this name in Hebrew, Aaron, is well, what's your thoughts on I am that I am? We know that uh, the prince involved in the middle of that riddle is Asher. What are your thoughts as to 
You said that the etymology on this was was quite uh, troubling when you tried to break it down in the Hebrew or tried to break it down uh, in the Greek. You come up with several combinations of what it could be. Had you considered the ash part of the etymology? Your thoughts? That is... I mean, if it was a full asher, that that would be indefinite. But um, that's a... That's something to consider here. Well, I I would have to say that, you know, we've already discussed this. The whole riddle of Tobit is tied up with his burial of the slain that had been killed by Sennacherib, which there is no doubt that his prince is, in fact, Asher. So... And as I just pointed out, that spirit that sent Sennacherib back to his homeland, where he would kill, be killed by his own sons. Right. And wow, we have so much, uh, so much that we have covered on that particular topic as well, which we're not going to cover today. But you're right; this would lead double credence as to what we could be looking at. As far as Asmodeus is concerned, who his, well, paternal parent could be. Now, I see the rhyme and the reasoning as to why the name of the Cloven would be concealed. But this plays into a greater schemata of things because this opens up, well, a whole lot of Bible prophecy where Edom is concerned. Uh, this really pushes the red line, with which we do not have time to cover that. So, your closing comments, please, Aaron. Your closing thoughts, and uh, give the listeners some direction as to uh, how they can obtain further study on these topics. Well, I'm, I've actually been um, – I actually found a website called safaria.org, and it's got all different types of Hebrew rabbinic uh, apocryphal texts in Hebrew, so like the Mishnah and the Midrash, the Kabbalah, and they'll actually – a lot of them will have Hebrew or Aramaic interlinears with those, with those texts. So I found a lot of this. Through this safaria.org. That's a pretty great tool. That's pretty awesome. Um, so I, I found a lot of my, uh, a lot of the things I've been saying through that. Well, I found, uh, I don't know, but the best thing we can do is just keep looking, you know, keeping our eyes opening to things um, that the Bible could be saying, you know? Exactly. And, uh, Remember, ladies and gentlemen, that when the Sadducees went to go riddle Christ the King, it was for a rhyme and it was for a reason. And I strongly suggest everybody go there, um, read that discourse in Matthew 22, then go back to the uh, references of this Hey Dad made uh, in Kings. You need to go to Samuel. Check out and discern for yourself. Well, why 
would the tale of Bathsheba be omitted from Chronicles? The Bible God's Holy Word is an equation. And the equation is always equal. Remember that, and you will fare well. So, ladies and gentlemen, you can find our work. Uh, just do a search for According to the Scripture. You'll find the main uh, links via that way. Uh, we have a Facebook page, According to the Scripture. I strongly suggest that you... Look us up, and please do send us some correspondence if you have questions concerning these things. If you have been riddling the scripture yourself and cannot find the equality in God's equations, shoot us an email at according to the scripture at mail.com. I want to stress this. It is not Gmail. It's mail.com. Just mail. According to the scripture at mail.com. So, Aaron, your goodbyes, please. God bless y'all. It was awesome studying with you. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, this is Christian Conspiracy Theory signing off.